Well, this morning we are going to wrap up our series entitled Christmas Lights. And uh, we spent the last three weeks kind of diving in, really talking about how that Jesus is the light of the world. Let's look in John chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 5 this morning. The Bible says this. It says, In the beginning the Word already existed, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And He existed in the beginning with God. And God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. And the Word, Jesus, gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. So our foundational principle is simply this. Jesus is the light of the world, right? He's the light of the world and he is the light of Christmas. And we've been talking about how that his presence is the greatest present we can ever receive. His life brought light to everyone and the light of Christ changes everything. Last Sunday we talked just a little bit about how that when Christ came into your life, how many of you remember getting born again? Anybody remember accepting Christ? Come on somebody. Anybody remember that? If you remember that, you know how that when Christ came into your life and the light of Christ shone into your heart, all of a sudden things begin to change. And we talked about how that when that same light that came into your life goes into your family, all of a sudden it begins to change your family. And then it begins to change our communities and it begins to change our nation. All of a sudden our world begins to be illuminated by the light of Christ that now lives and burns inside of us. And what a beautiful, powerful thing that is. Three weeks ago, we talked about how that Jesus, being Emmanuel, God with us, that when he was born in that manger, that he brought to light the love of God. And all of a sudden, we begin to recognize something. We begin to see the love of God through the life of Christ and recognize that God is a loving Father who is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And last Sunday, we talked about how that Jesus is the light of hope and how that through the light of hope, Jesus allows us to see that there is an expectation of good, right? We can live our lives with hope. We can have an expectation for good, that good things are going to happen, not because we deserve it, but because God is good. Come on, somebody. God is good. And our expectation of hope is firmly rooted in that revelation of a loving father who was willing to give his son on a cross for the sins of of the world. And today we're going to talk about how Jesus is the light of life and how the light of Christ in your life illuminates your life with the light of, of heaven so that you and I can begin to live in that light of Christ and bring the light of Christ to other people because the light that was given was not intended to be contained. It was intended to be shared so that other people can experience the hope and the reality of who Jesus Christ is. So look with me in John chapter 8 this morning. Verse 12. John 8, verse 12 says this. It says, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me shall not walk in darkness. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. I am the light of the world, and he who follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Of life. Look at that next point for all you note takers this morning. So the light of life shines upon us and fills us with life when we follow Jesus. Jesus said, if you follow me. I want to tell you something. We've got to believe in Christ, but how many of you know that our belief in Christ is intended to take us to a place where we actually begin to follow Christ? It's one thing to acknowledge him. It's another thing to follow him. 
And Jesus said that whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And all of a sudden, there is this illumination of heart and life that happens. We know through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit as the light of Christ fills our hearts as the Spirit of God begins to take up residence inside us. And all of a sudden, our life becomes a light that begins to give hope and grace and truth to a world that is lost in darkness. And so I want us to think about today, what does it really mean then to follow Jesus? Not just to believe in and accept and acknowledge the gift that he gave, but actually begin to follow him as followers of Jesus Christ. I want to be Christ-like and I want to follow him. And I think there's three ways uh, that we can kind of follow Christ. Number one, I think we get to follow his example, right? Y'all remember the old WWJD? Y'all remember those bracelets and t-shirts? What would Jesus do, right? We need to follow his example. Every time you do what Jesus would do in your life. You're following the example of Christ and you're shining that light of life into the world. And so we need to follow his example. We also need to follow his word, right? How many of you are thankful for the B-I-B-L-E? Yes, that's the book for me. Come on, somebody, right? I mean, the B-I-B-L-E, I love that book, right? Because the word of God is so powerful. And every time I do what God has said to do and I obey his word, I am following Christ and I'm living in that light of of life. And the Lord reminded me this morning as I was praying of something he spoke to me years ago. He said, Keith, you don't have to feel led to do what I've said, right? You don't have to feel led to do what I've said. And he just reminded me of something. He said, when you go to the doctor and the doctor writes you a prescription, right? And you get that medicine bottle that says take three times a day. The doctor doesn't call you three times a day and say, hey, you need to take your medicine. No, he doesn't call you three times a day because he's already wrote the prescription. And you don't have to feel led just to do what God's already said. He's already given us a prescription for life through the Word of God. And this is how we're supposed to love people and treat people and respond to circumstances and situations in our lives. And what I've found out in my life and in the lives of other Christians is that sometimes we make excuses for not doing the things we should do because we didn't really feel led to do it. <laughs> But how many of you know you don't have to be led to do what he's already said? So we just follow the example of Christ and we follow in obedience to his word. And then last but not least, praise God, we do have the Holy Spirit. We follow his spirit, right? One of the ways I follow Christ is I follow the spirit of Christ who lives in my heart. And I love what Colossians says. It says that God gives us not only the desire but the power to do the things that please him. God gives me a desire to do what pleases him. And then he gives me the power to do the very thing that God has called us to do. So today, we're just going to kind of look at Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to kind of take a deep dive into Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to talk about what does following Jesus really mean, and what does it look like when we follow him, and what does that look like when we begin to live in that light of life that begins to illuminate the darkness and bring the hope of Jesus to the world that desperately needs him. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 1 and 2. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says this, Imitate God. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. For he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. So following Jesus means walking in that light of love and loving is giving right loving is giving for God so loved the world that he gave loving is giving 
See, if I'm going to follow Christ, I'm going to have to walk in the light of love. And how do I know I'm loving people? Because I'm giving. I'm giving of myself. I'm giving of my time. I'm giving my talent. I'm giving of my treasure to help other people. See, when I walk in the light of Christ, when I walk in the light of his love, all of a sudden I'm living this generous life. And Kelly and I talk about this quite regularly. And I've just kind of settled in my heart, 2022, I want to be more generous this year than I've ever been. I want to live with a generous heart. I want to walk in that light of love that has this generous spirit about me that says, you know what, every day I'm looking for an opportunity to give, an opportunity to give of myself, to give of my time, my talent, my treasure, to help other people become who God has called them to be. How many of you realize we live in a pretty selfish world? And even in, our, even in our generosity, sometimes there is a selfish agenda. Sometimes we help people because we're hoping they're going to help us back. Sometimes we scratch somebody's back so that they'll one day scratch our back. But here's the realization. How many know that Jesus loved the people that accepted him and he loved the people that rejected him? <laughs> and that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And walking in the light of his love and living in that light of life means that as I follow Jesus, I just live with this generous heart that says, you know what, I want to get up every day and I want to be a giver. I don't want to be a taker. I mean, we all know takers, right? You know how you know when you got a taker in your life? It's when they call you and you say, oh, I wonder what they want now. Because you ain't heard from them in three months. And the last time they called you, they needed something, and now it's been three months, and they hadn't needed something. Now the phone's ringing again. You're like, well, I wonder what they need. How many of you know I don't want to be that person? <laughs> I don't want to be the person that you wonder about answering my call because what do I need? I want to be the kind of person that lives to give. Come on, somebody. That is what the love of God is all about. It's living in a place of generosity. And you know what I found out? Sometimes giving my money is a lot easier than giving my time <laughs> and giving my talent. And giving of myself. And, and here's what's exciting. Let, let me just read a scripture to you. It's out of 1 John chapter 3. It says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other, but let us show the truth by our actions let us show the truth by our actions because love is not a word and love is not even a feeling it's more than an emotion love is an action right we we show love by the choices that we make by the decisions that we make by the actions that we engage in and I love what the scripture says here because this is this is powerful here's here's a simple revelation you can't do everything but you can always do something right you can't meet every need but you can meet some needs you can't help everybody, but you can always help somebody. And walking in the light of love means that I abandon that selfish nature of our flesh and I step into a life of love that says I want to live with a generous spirit that's willing to give. And I love what the scripture says. Look at verse 17. It says if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need. That's a key phrase. And sees a brother or sister in need. Because here's what's interesting about us. Everybody doesn't see the same thing. It's funny, Kelly and I can be talking to some people, and we can walk away, and I'll say, you know what, I feel like we need to help them. And she's like, yeah, we need to do that. I'm like, no, that ain't what we need to do. I think we need to do this. 
Because she saw a need that I didn't see, and I saw a need that she didn't see. You know why? Because we're all unique, created in the image and likeness of God, and we all have a unique perspective. And here's what I want you to hear today. The need that you see is the invitation that God has given to you to be a part of the solution. You can't meet every need because you don't even see the needs. But the needs that you see, there's an invitation from God in that revelation. And the fact that you saw the need means that God has invited you into the equation of that person's life to provide not all the help, but some help in their life. A good friend of mine used to say this. He said, if God put the mail in your mailbox, then you're the one that's supposed to open it. (laughs) And when you see the need, God's putting the mail in your mailbox. And he's got your name on it. And he says, this is something I want you to do. And every time we walk in the light of love, every time we live out of a generous heart, all of a sudden the light of life fills us. And our life begins to stand. This is what I love about the light of life. It causes you to stand in contrast to the world. It's not about selfishness. It's not about manipulation. It's not about control. It's not about doing something for you so that one day you can do something for me and I'm going to hold it over your head until you help me out because don't you remember you owe me. Man, that's not love. That's not the love of God. It's not you owe me because I helped you three weeks ago. No, it's I helped you three weeks ago because I saw a need and I had the ability to do something to meet that need. And I did what I did out of love. And there are no strings attached. And that's a powerful love. And all of a sudden, there is a contrast between how you're living and how the world is living. And all of a sudden, the light of life begins to shine in you and through you. And you start to stand out as a follower of Jesus Christ. Look at that next point. Let me give you, let me give you one more scripture before we go there. I love Acts 20. I want to share this with you. And then we'll move on. Acts 20 verse 35, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, and I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. He says, and you should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. I just wanted to say this before we move on. Don't you already know this in your heart? The greatest joy in your life does not come from what you get. The greatest joys in your life come from what you give. I mean, yesterday was just Christmas, and we've all probably been at some Christmas celebrations, and, and it was amazing, right? I mean, Christmas is awesome. You get to open presents. You get to give presents, and it's a great day, and it's an awesome day, and it's a lot of fun. But the truth is, if you're a parent or a grandparent right now, we're grandparents now. It's kind of a whole new level, kind of fun stuff. And the greatest joy of Christmas is not the gifts we open. I mean, I got a whole new wardrobe and some fancy new shoes. Look at me. woo <laughs> And I'm like, you bought me winter clothes, and it's 70 degrees outside. I'm helping Help me out, Jesus. The greatest joy on Christmas is not the gifts you get. It's the smiles on the faces of your kids. It's it's the gifts that you give. It's seeing them happy. It's seeing the smiles, the laughter, the joy. It's seeing them play with and do the things. That is the joy. And you know what? That same joy you experience on Christmas morning when you bless the people you love is the same joy Jesus is inviting us to live in every single day. It's the joy of giving. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Because God blesses givers. Come on, somebody. There's a leadership principle that simply says this. If you're going to be an effective leader, you have to learn how to invest in the people that are investing in people. 
If you're going to be an effective leader, you have to learn how to invest in the people that are investing in people. Because if you just invest in people that aren't investing in people, then your leadership influence stops with the people you help. But when you invest in the people that are investing in people, now there's a multiplication of what you give is given to somebody else. And if we in our modern world have learned that key element of leadership, let me tell you something. God knows something too. You know what God does? God loves to bless the people that love to bless the people. God loves to bless people that bless people. Luke tells us, if you'll give, it'll be given unto you good pressure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For with the same measure that you give, it'll be given back to you. Why? Because God loves to bless people that bless people. Because that's the heart of God. He is a generous God who loves to give. And he is inviting us to walk in that light of life, which is a light of generosity that gives to other people. Now let's look at that next point. So following Jesus also means, I want you to see this, it means walking not only in the light of love, but in the light of purity. Sexual, moral, financial, and verbal purity bring life because purity releases power. We're going to talk about that last statement in just a minute. Ephesians chapter 5, let's continue to read there. Verse 3 through 8, listen to what he says here. He says, let there be no sexual immorality, no impurity or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories and foolish talk and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. And you can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ or of God. For a greedy person is an adulterer worshiping the things of this world. Look at verse 6. And don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. Isn't it amazing how we can make excuses for these sins? We make excuses for impurity, sexual immorality. We make excuses for impurity in business. It grieves my heart when it comes to moral impurity. When I hear somebody say, well, you know what, we're just doing business. What they really mean is I'm kind of twisting the truth a little bit because I want to get this contract. I'm not really telling the whole story because I want to get a raise. And you know what? We're just doing business. Everybody else is doing it. Isn't it funny that what we used to say when we were kids and we told our kids, well, just because everybody else is doing it don't mean you got to do it. Papa Larry's here this morning. He'd say, if everybody else jumps off a cliff, you're going to jump off a cliff too? Well, when you're a teenager, you might because sometimes you're not that smart. But you know what happens when we become adults? We still do the same thing. Well, you know, it's just business. If I don't do it, somebody else will do it. If I don't, if I don't, if I don't twist it just a little bit, somebody else is going to twist it, and they're going to get the contract, and they're going to get the bid, and they're going to get the job, and they're going to make the money. And all of a sudden, we recognize every time we compromise, every time we make an excuse for sexual, moral, verbal, or financial impurities, all of a sudden, we lose power. I want you to see this. Purity gives you power. power. You are as powerful as you are pure. I want you to hear that. You are as powerful as you are pure. Purity in every area of your life gives you influence and impact in the world that we live in. Let me finish reading this scripture to you. I want you to listen to the rest of it. He says, don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. For the anger of God will fall on all those who disobey him. And don't participate in the things these people do. Look at verse 8. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. If Chastity was up here today, she'd say, keep on shining. <laughs> live as people 
of light. Let's talk about this for just a minute. You are, listen to me, you are as powerful as you are pure. Let there be no sexual immorality, no impurity, no greed among you. Sexual, moral, financial. And then he goes on in verse 4, and no obscene stories or foolish talk or coarse jokes or no language. We need to be pure. In the 1960s, we had what was called the sexual revolution. And guess what happened in the sexual revolution? The sexual revolution did not bring liberty and freedom. It brought bondage. It brought bondage. It brought brokenness. It brought broken hearts and broken lives and broken relationships. Guess what? You cannot have a healthy, life-giving relationship, whether it is dating or in marriage, as long as there is sexual immorality or impurity. It compromises your power. It compromises your influence. It compromises your ability to do the thing that you're called to do. For all of our young people in here today, let me just share this a statistic or a story I heard. Not a statistic, a story I heard years ago. Kelly and I were youth pastor, and, and, and I heard this little story, and it stuck with me. A young girl, teenage girl, was being picked on by her friends because she was still a virgin. And she looked at her friends, and she said, you know what? I can have what you have in a moment, but you can never have what I have. I can have what you have in a moment, but you can never have what I have because you've already crossed a line. See, there's power in purity. There's power in purity. When there's purity, sexual purity in marriages, guess what it does? It helps us to be healthy and thriving. It builds trust and camaraderie and strengthens us. See, impurity sexually, I want you to hear this. Impurity sexually takes what was intended to strengthen us in a marriage relationship, and it ends up dividing us. In a culture where people bounce from one relationship to another relationship to another relationship to another relationship. And after about one date, we're talking about sex, if even one date. And we see these relationships are not getting stronger and healthier and better. They're getting weaker. And the tendency to build lasting relationships seems to get harder and harder, not easier and easier. Why? Because there's power in purity. And guess what? You can begin again in Christ. Come on, somebody. You can begin today to walk in purity. You can begin today to follow Jesus and be pure, pure sexually, pure morally, pure financially. Think about financial financial integrity, financial purity, how important that is. As a church, we know how important it is our elders, and we manage the money with, with a strict, I mean a strict code of integrity. Why? Because if you ever compromise, right, if a church or a business ever compromises in the area of financial integrity and purity, then you lose your respect, you lose your influence, and you lose your ability to do what God's called you to do. And then the last one is verbal purity. I, I love what he said there. Look, look what he said in that one verse. Verse 4. He said, obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, joke, jokes, these are not for you. That doesn't mean we can't cut up and have fun. It doesn't mean we can't pick on one another and enjoy each other. At our 8 o'clock service, you guys wouldn't know this. You ought to come at 8 o'clock just one Sunday morning. We got a group of guys that sit out there in the front four. You use it by the front doors. We call them the elders at the gate. That's what Jesse called them this morning. And they're the biggest jokes and cut-ups you've ever seen in your life. And I love hanging out with them. They're so much fun. 
they poke and they prod and they pick and they laugh and, and they enjoy one another. And it is wonderful and glorious. That's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about the coarse jokes, the, the words, the, the sarcasm. He's talking about the jabs that we make at one another. Those words that we say, oh, I was just joking. No, you weren't joking. You were piercing the soul of another person. You were taking advantage of an opportunity to strike at their heart. And Paul says, you know what? We need purity there. When you walk in that light of purity. You know what I was thinking about this morning as I was praying? The Lord said, Keith, I used to work construction. I laid carpet and sold carpet, so I worked construction. And what's crazy, here's what's crazy. If you, especially in construction world, but it's in any world, if you go to work and work five days in a row and don't use any kind of profanity, everybody you work with will automatically assume you're a Christian. They'll say, well, you go to church somewhere? Are you a Christian? Well, why would you ask that? Well, I ain't heard you cuss all week. Isn't that crazy? You don't have to quote a Bible verse. You don't have to lead a small group. You don't have to take up an offering. All you got to do is not cuss. Let there be purity in the words that you speak, and people will automatically associate you with Jesus. How powerful is that? Paul said following Jesus means we're going to have to walk in that light of purity so that the light of life that has been given to us begins to shine through us so that other people can see and hear and experience who he really is. Look at that next point. Following Jesus means shining the light of God's goodness, righteousness, and truth. Shining light brings life because it sets other people free. Look at Ephesians 5 verse 9. He says, for the light within you produces only what is good and right and true. The light of life that comes to the Holy Spirit only produces the goodness, the righteousness, and the truth of Jesus Christ. If the Holy Spirit has his way in your life, you know what will happen? You will exude the goodness, righteousness, and truth of Jesus Christ. Your life will be an overflow of the goodness, righteousness, and truth of Jesus Christ. Look what else he goes on to say. He says, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. And look at verse 11. And take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Look at this next little phrase. It's huge. Instead, expose them. Now, I want you to hear something. This is huge. We don't expose evil by condemning people. We expose evil by shining light in the darkness. We don't expose evil by condemning people. We expose evil by shining light in the darkness. When you shine the light of God's goodness and God's righteousness and God's truth into a dark place, guess what happens? That light of Christ exposes the evil in that place. We don't condemn people. We don't judge people. And we don't shame people into the kingdom. We shine light. And we got way too many Christians cursing the darkness and way few Christians shining the light of his goodness, his righteousness, and his truth so that the world can see. Let's just be honest. All of us in this room here today, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you probably came to Christ because somewhere along the way, you encountered somebody whose light shined into your darkness. And they didn't condemn you, and they didn't judge you, and they didn't hate you. They loved you, but they shined light. The goodness, the righteousness, and the truth of Jesus Christ pierce your darkness. And all of a sudden, let me tell you the difference 
between the light of Christ that exposes us and the exposure that the world brings. When the world exposes people, how many know we have a whole news reel of media and social media that loves to expose people? And when the world exposes you, they expose you so they can condemn you and so they can shame you. You're doing something you're not supposed to do, social media is going to expose you and they're going to condemn you and they're going to shame you. You're a politician doing, you something, doing something you shouldn't do, <clears throat> the media is going to expose you and condemn you and shame you. But when the light of Christ exposes you, I want you to hear this. The light of Christ exposes our sinfulness. It allows us to see ourselves in the light of who he is. He is good, he is righteous, and he is true. And all of a sudden, the light of Christ exposes my sinfulness. But here's what is amazing about the light of Christ. It exposes us but never condemns us. It exposes us but never shames us. It exposes us but never judges us. It exposes us, and the moment that the light of Christ exposes your sin... In that very same moment, he empowers you to change. He empowers you to come out of that sin. He empowers you to come out of that darkness. When Jesus encountered the adulterous woman, Jesus shined the light into that entire situation. And you know what happened? The guys with the stones saw their sin, and they dropped their stones and they walked away. And then Jesus looked at the woman and said, Where are your accusers? Does not anyone condemn you? And she said, No, Lord. And he said, Listen to this. And neither do I condemn you. Now, he didn't stop there. And then he says, And go and sin no more. He exposed and empowered all in the same moment. That's what the light of Christ does. And that's what we're called to do. We're not called to tell sinners how sinful they are. We're called to show sinners how good God is. Come on, somebody. It's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. And it's when you shine the light of his goodness, his righteousness. There's a right way and a wrong way. We're going to do the right way. And his truth, which is uncompromising. When you shine the light of his goodness, his righteousness, and his truth into that environment, all of a sudden, the light does what condemnation and shame and guilt could never do. Because let's be honest. We, we have all in our families. Let's just talk about our families for a minute. We have all used shame, unfortunately, and condemnation to make people do the things we want to do. But it doesn't last. It doesn't last. You tell your kids, well, boy, if your friends were to come over, they'd, you'd, really be embarrassed if they'd, you'd really be embarrassed if they saw how dirty your room was. Well, that works for about five minutes. Because it's that shame, you'd really be ashamed You'd really be ashamed if they saw you. You'd really be ashamed if this happened. You'd really be ashamed. Shame does not have the power to change you. It may cause you to make a momentary adjustment, but it will never produce lasting change. It is the light of Christ. It is the goodness, righteousness, and truth of who Jesus is that empowers us. And it shows us who we are. Unapologetically, Jesus calls you out. Of our sin but at the very moment he calls you out of your sin he empowers you to walk in his righteousness and that's what we are called to do as followers of Christ listen to what he says verse 12 he says it's shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret but their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them for the light makes everything visible 
This is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Look at that next point, our last point for today. Following Jesus means walking in the light of fellowship. Fellowship with other believers gives us life because we are better together. 1 John chapter 1 says, this is the message we heard from him. We heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. Look at verse 7. He says, but if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sins. You know what breaks my heart? It breaks my heart when I meet people that say, Pastor Keith, I love Jesus. I just don't like the church. <laughs> I've met a lot of those people. And I understand it. I understand people get hurt in church. I understand things happen in church that shouldn't happen in church. So let's just be honest. Things happen in your family that shouldn't happen in your family. Your family's hurt you. Your family's disappointed you. Your family has wounded you. But here's the realization. We fight for our families. Come on, somebody. We fight for our families. Why? Because family's worth fighting for. The church is not a perfect place filled with perfect people. It is a perfect God drawing imperfect people to live together in the light of his love and love each other enough to work through the difficulties that come in family. And continue to move forward because of what God has already done in us and for us through the light of his love. And then you'll hear people say something like this really spiritual. They'll say, well, you know, Pastor Keith, I had a young guy tell me this one time. He said, all I need is Jesus. That sounds really spiritual, but it's a lie from the pit of hell. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you know what it says? 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says this. It says that we are one body in Christ and that we are members of one another and the hand can never say to the foot, I don't need you. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, you need me. And Jesus said, and you need each other. The hand can't say the foot, I don't need you. Why? Because we are the body of Christ. And yes, all we need is Jesus, but Jesus connects us to one another. And all of a sudden, when I walk in fellowship with God, it produces fellowship with other people. And I begin to build relationships and connections. Listen to what Ecclesiastes is for. We know, we know this scripture. It's a great scripture, but I want to read it to you. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 says, Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. They can help each other succeed. There's a synergy, right, that happens when we come together. All of a sudden, we help each other. We're better together. Synergy says that the accumulation of the whole is greater than the individual sum, which simply means this. If John Wesley could reach one person for Christ this year, and Samantha could reach one person for Christ this year, and Kelly could reach one person for Christ this year, then we'd say, well, if they work together, then one plus one plus one is three. They can reach three people for Christ. But the law of synergy says this, that if those three people would work together, instead of reaching three people, they could reach 30 people. Because all of a sudden we help each other succeed. There's a multiplication. There's an increase. There's an impact. Your life is powerful by itself, but it is more powerful when we're connected together. It's when the body works together that amazing things really do begin to happen. Look what else he says. He says, if one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. 
You know what breaks my heart is I see Christians that fall and they're alone. I want you to hear this. They're not alone because nobody loves them. They're alone because they've disconnected from the body. They're not alone because people don't love them. They're alone because they've disconnected. And I want to encourage you, when I walk in the light of Christ, I have to walk in fellowship with other believers because Jesus connects me to the church. And all of a sudden, when I'm not alone and I fall, and guess what? We all fall. We all fall down. And we all need help getting back up. We need each other. And when I'm connected, amazing things happen. Look at that next verse. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? Man, there are some dark, cold hours in every person's life when we need the warmth of fellowship. I'm going to tell you a story I don't think I've ever told publicly because it's pretty humiliating, but I'm going to tell it to you anyway. Kelly and I got married right out of high school. I was 18. She was 17. That year after we got married, uh, I decided to take her younger brother, and we were going to go. We had a little flat-bottom boat. My dad had a flat-bottom boat. We were going to go what we call canoeing down this little creek by our house, and we were going to canoe halfway and spend the night on the bank of the river and then get up and canoe the rest of the way out. It had been raining for two or three weeks before that. I mean, the, the, the creek was up. It was running hard. And in my 18-year-old genius, <laughs> we packed our sleeping bags and everything that we had in a black garbage bag and tied it off because we were going to keep it from getting wet. And that worked great till the boat flipped over. <laughs> and, and, and limbs tore holes all in our bags. And literally everything we owned, including ourselves, was soaking wet. Well, it was spring of the year, and that night as we stopped on the side of the bank of the river, it had been raining for about two, three weeks. Every piece of wood in the forest was soaking wet. I wasn't even smart enough to bring a lighter. I brought waterproof matches. We stopped on the side of that bank of that river, and it got down about 40 degrees that night, and it was freezing cold. And we never could, I never could get a fire going. I laid by that little fire. I had a can of off spray and I'd spray it on there like a, like a flamethrower, you know, trying to, till my off spray ran out. And I remember laying there with my face, the fire was right here and I'd just blow on it on out, like, trying to keep a little ember going. Kelly's brother, he, he's about big as a stick at that time. I mean, he, he didn't weigh 8,500 pounds. We were freezing to death. And I remember laying there and I looked at him and he looked at me and I said, come here, honey. Oh, my goodness. Because if two lie together, they'll keep warm. <laughs> and I hugged him tight that night. <laughs> but you know what? There are dark moments in your life like that. Where you're shipwrecked on the side of a river somewhere. And everything you own is wet. And the only thing you've got are the people that you've invited into your life. Relationships matter. And we need each other. Last verse, I want to close with this. The writer of Ecclesiastes goes on and says, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Let, let me just say this to you today. 
as I was preaching earlier at 8 o'clock service, the, the, I felt like the Holy Spirit quickened this in my heart. He said, Keith, 2022 needs to be a year of connection. A year of connection. This one truth, if you would just learn, if we would just learn to walk in the light of fellowship, that one truth would change our lives. If we would really begin to invite each other into our lives and we would begin to connect in community and faith, right? We learn in rows on Sunday morning, but we connect in circles. Small groups are so important, so valuable to what God wants to do in the church. Why? Because if you don't know my name and I don't know your name and we don't know what's going on in each other's lives, then you might as well be alone. But when you connect and when you relate and when you begin to build relationships together, all of a sudden the light of life begins to shine. And it seems really tough to be a loner. But it's not. Because we were created for that fellowship. So I want us just to bow our heads today. And I want to challenge you as I do every week with two things. The first challenge is for all of you that are here today that are believers. If you're a Christian and you know without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life and you're watching me online and you know that you're saved, you know that you're going to heaven, I want to challenge you with this today. Are you walking in fellowship? Are you walking in the light of purity? And are you walking in the light of love? Because if not, today's a good day to draw closer to Jesus. Today's a good day just to draw closer to Jesus. Say, Lord, I want to walk in that light of love. I want to live with a generous heart. God, I want to walk in that light of purity in every aspect and area of my life. And Lord, I want to walk in that light of fellowship because I want the world to see Jesus in me. So maybe this morning as a believer in Jesus Christ, you just need to make a fresh commitment to the Lord this morning maybe in one of those specific areas, maybe in all of those areas in some degree. But I want to challenge you right now. Let's draw close to Jesus. Jesus said, if you follow me, you will not walk in darkness, but you will have the light of life. The second thing that I want to do this morning is how I close every service just about is simply this. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've never been what the Bible calls born again. You've never been saved. You never went from darkness to light. You've never went from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive. But today is your day, and you know that. God is dealing with you. And right now, your heart is crying out, and you know more than anything, you need Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior. So if that's you right now, whether you're in the room or whether you're online, I want you just to raise your hand. Just a simple act of faith that says, today, I want to accept Christ. Today, I want to follow Him. Just lift your hand high. If you're watching online, just hit that hand emoji. Type in that chat box. I'm raising my hand. We want to pray with you. Because today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. And now is the appointed time. This is your hour. This is your day. Don't miss it. So I want to just pray right now for all of you that are here and all of you that are watching online. Let's pray this prayer out loud together. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, and died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose again on the third day. And I confess today that I'm a sinner. And I need Jesus to be my Savior. I ask you to come into my heart and my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. 
I commit and choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. Amen. We love you guys very much. We love you online. We're so glad that you're here. Merry Christmas. Remember to stop by the mission table out in the front for you to my left and uh, make a donation. Take something home with you and help us invest in what God is doing in world missions. Have a blessed day and again, a merry, merry Christmas.